This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm James Deacon and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, a show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to you. And here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is former Labour advisor, Evening Standard columnist and comedian Aisha Hazarika. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, it's such a pleasure. It's like a dream come true. (laughs) Do you know, Desert Island Dicks is the thing that is like, that is, you know you've made it. <laughs> but um Aisha, thank you so much for coming in. Um if you're happy to, should we dive in? Who's gonna be your first yeah, choice? Let's crack on. Mm. So my first choice is like I'm gonna name two people, but it's a kind of type of person. Okay. So I'm going for sort of joint first place with Piers Morgan and Nigel Farage. Okay, wow. And I'm picking them because they have sort of spawned a, a kind of generation of um emboldened sort of right-wing men. You know the phrase, the gammons? Right, they, yes. They're like the godfather of gammonry. Okay. <laughs> they were sort of like the kind of... I feel like the gammon men that you see like popping up on Question Time and just generally being really angry and giving you loads of abuse, they're sort of the love child of Nigel Farage oh. and Piers Morgan, in my view. Wow, so they've opened the door to all of this gammonry. They have, they have. They've been like a massive gammon factory. Okay. <laughs> like gammon on an industrial scale because of these two men. And I've actually had encounters with um, both of them, not mm. in that kind of way, obviously. Um, so Nigel Farage, I had a massive row with on the Andrew Marr show. Okay. And what was so interesting about him is that when he came into the studio, because before you go there a bit early and you go through all the papers and get your makeup done and stuff... And he sort of turned up with such bravado. He sort of had more kind of chutzpah than the Prime Minister. Wow. Mind you, everyone's got more chutzpah than the Prime Minister we have currently. There are oh, yeah. ironing boards with more chutzpah than... Watch um, any of the dancing videos going round at the minute. Yeah. Although I think that's really working for her. I think I that's helping us sort of feel a tiny bit. Uh, the fact that she's doing the Peter Crouch thing, everyone's like, oh, that's quite sweet, <laughs> isn't it? Dance like no one's watching, literally. Yes. Even though like, you've got all these cameras on you. But I remember he sort of walked in and he had such sort of swagger and such a sense of entitlement it was almost like he was more important than Andrew Marr, whose show it was. Wow. And he had this just great sense of, like, I'm the main attraction, I'm the only person that matters on this. And I just sort of lost it with him when we went on air, and he he kind of wouldn't 
let anyone else speak. So then I just got really shouty and ranty and slightly scrappy do. Wow, um, okay. But I felt it was what the public wanted. Yeah, you were speaking for everyone, I imagine, at that moment. But what was interesting is beforehand, he was so like, I'm in control, I'm the alpha here, I'm the main man. And he was like, you know, very sort of affable with everybody because it was like it was his show. And then when he was challenged by me and he didn't like it, he sort of stormed off afterwards and didn't stay for breakfast. Okay. And I thought, that's a real reveal into your character. So you you like everybody when we're kowtowing to you and sort of you're the king. Mm. But when anyone challenges you, particularly a woman, you can't handle it. Wow, you can dish it out, but you can't take it. Exactly. Why does he feel like he can just go around like this? I don't know. It's a sort of weird, innate sense of entitlement and power. Mm. And, I mean, that's why I suppose feminists like I always go on about sort of male privilege. It's a particular type of confidence. It's a particular type of self-belief that you're always right that you should always dominate everything in the room, that you have a sort of divine right um, to speak over everybody. I mean, that's very true of Piers Morgan as yes, well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've done Good Morning Britain a few times with him and it's like, I don't know why there's anyone else on the set because it's just him and his ego and it's quite extraordinary. And I feel really sorry for Susanna Reid who I think is brilliant and I think she's clever and bright and opinionated, but the woman can barely get a word in Mm. because he's just yapping on the whole time and actually nobody else gets a a word in. And I remember one time I did the show and Piers Morgan and I had a bit of a to-do about something on air and I hadn't done the show that many times and the next morning when I was in makeup and it's so early, you're literally in makeup at like the back of six o'clock and you're like, eyes are like piss holes in the snow and you can like barely kind of speak. And he sort of came up to me and he was like, so, did you think you were all important having a go at me on air yesterday morning? Well, if you ever do that again, I'm going to take you down what? live on air. And I was like, <gasps> then he went, ha, 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 just joking, or am I? And I was like, <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> right, even the make the makeup lady who was doing my eyeliner was like literally her hand was shaking so much it was literally going everywhere, and I was like, "That's really bad! Like that's a really bad sort of hey, this is." You know, he also had his groin really sort of clenched oh, on my face. No, it's he was, horrible. He was kind of like an anchor man sort of parody, and I, I was like, it. and I just I hate that type of just you know. I'm the big guy here, I'm the alpha, and I'm just going to be in control of everything. And it's a way of sort of shutting everybody else up, and it does my head in. I don't know how I can go around just thinking that everything that he says is right. It's just like, some of the stuff he comes out with is just unbelievable. And then, and then he he just tries to justify, and it's just it's horrible, horrible to watch or listen to. It is, it is horrible to watch. And also the other thing that they both have in common is... I think the person that they worship at the altar for, the person who they look up to more than anybody, is, of course, Donald Trump. Because I think to them, he embodies, like, the ultimate of that type of behaviour, which is this, you know, I'm here, I'm in charge, you know, I'm just the man, you know, I have this huge ego, everything I say is the law, fact. And I think they look up to him and think, wow. In fact, Piers Morgan is so far up Donald Trump's backside is within touching distance of Nigel Farage's <laughs> shoes. <laughs> oh my god, both of them up the ultra gammon. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump the ultra gammon. Wow. So are we gonna uh is there any more on those guys before sorry before I Um I mean the only other thing or just a political point is I think they've completely sort of polluted 
political discourse in this country. I think Nigel Farage has wreaked a, a huge amount of, of damage, particularly through all the sort of Brexit stuff. But um, that is just a, a broader, more kind of serious political point. I think he's done a lot of damage to this country. And then when Brexit's got difficult, it's kind of fled the scene of the crime. You know, he sort of caused all the mess and he's like, all right, it's too difficult now. I'm kind of, you know, he's, he's the kind of person who's there to sort of stir it up and wind everybody up, but won't be there to sort of actually be part of the solution and make things happen. Awful. Bad. Yeah, you should um, face up to your uh, to your decisions. You should... Uh, take some responsibility. Take some responsibility. Take back control exactly. of the mess you've just caused. I know, yeah. OK, so we're kind of saying gammons, the gammonry. Yeah, the gammonry, the godfathers of gammonry. The godfathers of gammonry, Piers Morgan and Nigel Farage. OK, excellent. Aisha, who's going to be your second choice? So, because I've kind of attacked men on the right, mm. I sort of think for good political and social balance, I should also attack men on the left. Okay. So this isn't sort of individuals as such, but it's a kind of type of person. And these are men on the left who think they're really right on. Okay. They think they're really woke. There's often a bit of facial hair going on. Um, and some really bad, like, T-shirts. Nice. And they're, like, they think they're, like, brothers. They call, they're, like, woke brothers. Oh, but actually, no. they're, like, the worst. So they sort of um, kind of disguise themselves as really good people because they're on the left. But actually, they're, they're pretty, like, awful. And they actually have quite a lot of the characteristics that I talked about before in terms of, like, extreme male privilege. They mm. think they're absolutely correct about everything. Um, they often sort of maraud on social media, sort of terrorising people. They go after... They, they give it the big one about being feminist, but then they go after, like, a lot of women um, right. that, they, that don't match their particular train of thought. And they just generally really do my head in. I, they also... The, 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 the thing that does my head in is most they lecture a lot of women about feminism. OK. Thinking that they're being really helpful and they, they, they kind of mansplain women's rights rights and equality and all of that stuff to you and it is particularly particularly annoying because they like they like to think that they have the moral high ground on everybody else but they really don't you're encountering a lot of these woke brothers yeah there's like a lot of woke brothers um at the moment (laughs) in fact right i went to this conference at the weekend and they were like two like I wouldn't they were like almost like two woke baby brothers they were like kind of really new onto the scene so they were like woke toddlers and they were on this panel and I don't know if they'd ever met each other before but they sort of looked at each other and sort of double took because they like to portray themselves as being really individual man and then they turned up and they both looked exactly the same. No way. They were literally wearing the same outfit. They had the same hair. Their body language was exactly the same. They had the same... Or oh, the other thing about them is they're often quite posh, but they, like, pretend to be, like, class warriors. Right, OK, But yes. they have, like, a really kind of expensive, you know, voice and they've been schooled really well and they... But they lecture everybody else. And it was so funny watching them because it was like... It was like sort of identical twins that had been separated at birth and then they suddenly reconnected. And afterwards, I was watching them sort of interact together like a sort of weird, like, David Attenborough spy. And it was so funny because they were even mimicking each other's... Oh, no. ..body language, but both of them were, like, their kind of shtick was like, hey, man, I'm, like, 
I'm such an individual, you know, I'm so unique, like there's nobody like me. And it's like, yeah, there's like quite a lot of <laughs> people a lot. like you. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else that watched that same YouTube video that's copying <laughs> all the mannerisms <laughs> and opinions from. Yeah, okay. Okay, right on Woke Brothers, I see. I, I've definitely met a few of these in my time and I can think of them. There's a lot of Twitter warrior woke brothers right you yeah. see that a lot and they can sit behind twitter and and you know like like you said mansplain feminism to people <laughs> and in fact the best one the most brilliant thing on twitter is a parody account of these woke brothers and it's no. called corbin superfan and i don't know who this person is i'm whether it's a male or female behind it but it is absolutely genius it just captures the kind of wanky wokiness okay. absolutely to a T. It is just completely brilliant and always it, you know, it just never ever fails to make me sort of howl with laughter because there's such a ring of truth about it. That's amazing. Corbin Superfan. Yeah, okay. it's really good. I'm making a note now. I will follow after the In podcast. Fact, it's so good, people think it's real. Really? <laughs> people think it's real. It's been no. going for like a little while. It's been going for a wee while but people get into like mad rows with this person and then they just keep upping the ante and everyone if you know it you know it's ridiculous but it just shows you it's so difficult now to actually make the distinction particularly on the left between reality and parody mm, yeah okay do you know who's doing it no i would no, okay. love to find out honestly we have to find out who this person is and like give them a comedy series because they are Genius. Amazing. Okay, if you are a Corbyn superfan, then please do tweet into the podcast and let us know. Yeah. Oh, I'd be really interested. Come on the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to add them in. I'm going to add them in. Okay. All right, okay. Um, We'll go onto Twitter and see how that unfolds. Okay, anything else about these woke brothers before we leave them on the island? Please don't harass me on Twitter after this podcast goes out. <laughs> a lot of blockings, just after one after another. Okay, great. And the, so the White Brothers go on. And who's going to be your third choice? So I feel I've done a lot of attacking of men. So mm. I'm going to do a bit of gender balance. And um, my third uh, Desert Island dick is Kim Kardashian. Kim K. Kim K. Kim Why K. Kim K? Well. A lot of people would argue that, you know, Kim Kardashian might be a bit of a role model to future generations for, you know, her business acumen and things like that. There's a but, and it is massive. It is huge. It is giant, and it's got more silicon than a startup in Silicon Valley, let's be honest. And I'm sorry, it just does my head in. The fact that Kim Kardashian has created this image where the only thing that matters as a woman, the only thing you should be valued on, is how you look. And she's always kind of... Who takes these selfies of it? It's like she must have somebody just following her around like 24-7, just taking photos of her and of just doing the most ridiculous thing. She's always posing with like no clothes on, but like one sock or something <laughs> yeah, like that. You yeah. know what I mean, it's just like, who does that? I know. And I just feel I'm so overseeing every inch of a sort of perfect, hair-free, unattainable, surgically enhanced porn star mm. body that just is, the whole image thing is just designed to make, kind of women just feel slightly inadequate and she did this thing recently like a fair play to you know she's got she's very attractive she's got a great body she spends like most of her life putting on makeup contouring and sort of working out but 
women should be valued for far more than just that. And she, she, she's had this thing recently about how much she weighed, right? And this huge thing about how proud she was that she had reached some certain weight. Like, her, her makeup of her blood and her bones and her molecules and her atoms came to a certain number of pounds. And I just thought... What a reductive way to see a human being that you are you only matter because of how little you weigh. Mm. You're so important because you weigh so little. You take up so much space. And I just think a lot of people go, oh, yeah, but she's doing feminism because she's, like, doing it herself and this is what she wants mm. to do and stuff. And I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's not what women want feminism to be, actually. It's what men in control of the media want feminism to be. You know, they're sort of... It's like how stupid are women to think that feminism is sort of like getting your tits out, looking submissive and sort of porn star and sexually available all the time. And that's the only thing by which you're defined. So that's why, you know, I kind of think, did the suffragettes really die for this? You know, did did Emily Wilding Davidson throw herself in front of a horse so that Kim Kardashian could invent the belfy? I think not. (laughs) I think you're right. I think you're very <laughs> right. And what do you think this is doing to to young women? What does this mean for young women in the future? Well, I think even right now, today, mm. I think it's having a very um, distorting effect for young women about what they should look like and what their bodies should look like. Mm. Everybody is addicted to social media now, but younger people particularly. And lots of young girls and young women are suffering from terrible self-hatred about how they look. Now, that's happened for a long time, ever since sort of magazines and films were invented. And actually, time immemorial from the Victorian times when your corset had to, like, crush your ribs to get to a certain um, sort of smallness. But I think particularly now, because we are, you know, our lives are governed by social media and young women and young girls are very, very susceptible to it. And I think it's like creating a lot of mental health issues. Mm. So there's a couple of stories recently. There was um, a a very tragic story about, um, I think, a woman who died recently from having so much plastic surgery. She almost developed this sort of body dysmorphia and she she wanted to sort of look like somebody who she sees on social media, Mm. on Instagram or, you know, whatever. And there was another very worrying report out very recently saying something like a quarter of young girls have self-harmed and I think I think in my view a lot of that is linked to social media unattainable ideals of um, perfection you know when you're growing up through puberty you have a really difficult time with your hormones raging you you think you look you know horrendous um, you've got all these changes happening to your body and now on top of that there is this like relentless thing in your hand in the palm of your hand which just shows you sort of picture after picture after picture of everybody looking perfect mm. and the signal is to you as a young woman that that's how you're valued as a human being if you're a woman you've got to um, worry about having a gap between your thighs you've got to be so thin you have to um, post pictures of yourself looking you know absolutely not an ounce of fat on you yet unrealistically you know big boobs or or, or whatever and I just think there's such a pre- there's so much pressure on young people anyway but that's I think the damage that that these that these women have like Kim Kardashian because they have they're such influencers you know they have huge followings on Twitter and Instagram 
And they actually, with that, does come a lot of power in terms of shaping what a lot of young women will think they should look like. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think the answer is to be more considerate about what you post on social media or for people to use it less or what's the... Do you know, I just, I really don't know what the answer is to that. I've thought about it um, a lot. It's very difficult because we just now live in an age where everybody is on social media and saying to people, well, just have less social media. You, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, there's a whole generation of young people who are digital peacocks. They have grown up, they're digital natives. They just, they, they have grown up in an environment where they record and document and post every single aspect of their lives. It's almost like if they haven't Instagrammed it, it hasn't happened. Totally. Yeah, I see that. So it's really difficult to say to them, right, just change the the whole way you, you do. But I think what there should be is much more research into the effects on people's mental health yes. about social media. There's, um, I mean, we talked about Twitter abuse before, and there's a lot of bullying that goes on on social media, mm. as well as unrealistic um, expectations. There's a lot of, there's a dark side to social media. There's also um, evidence that shows that the way it's been designed, which is brilliant and it's genius because it has worked, we're all addicted to it, you know. If someone, if I post something and somebody likes it, you do get that wee dopamine hit. You're like, wow, someone's liked my sort of post. It's, you know, the way, you know, news is refreshed on a second-by-second basis. It's addictive. It's sort of, you know, you, you can just feast on social media all day. I think we'll look back on this period of time, the social media, in the same way we did the sort of tobacco industries. Right, yes. Um, And I think we'll see... Definitely shouldn't, you know, you can't sort of ban it as such, but we need a lot more research into it and we almost need to educate people about, I mean, obviously it does a lot of good, but the, the dark side of it as well and mm. the, the effects on your on your health. Okay, brilliant. Wow, thank you so much, Aisha. That was a really enlightening. Thanks. I think it's great. Okay, um, Kim K. Kim, Kim K. K as a representation of, you know... You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, Aisha. Now, mercifully, among the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? So I've got two foods that I really, really hate. The first category of food is I've got this real phobia about cooked orange food. Cooked orange food? I, uh, I like, I can't handle it. I don't understand. So take a carrot. Raw, no problem. I can be like Bugs Bunny. No, 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 no way. Cooked carrot. I'm like, ah, really? get it away from me. Uh, is there anything else then? What's like the... um, butternut squash. I cannot stand, like, I literally freak out at butternut squash. Um, <laughs> sweet potato. So these are, these are foods with completely different flavours, but it's just that they're orange and cooked. It's weird. I think there's something about the texture and the taste of it when it's cooked. It, there's a weird sort of sweetness and the wow yes the consti- there is a sweetness yeah and i just it, i can't stand it like i literally i'm just like Wah. orange pepper again nice yeah uh raw but 
nowhere I cannot handle it in no a new meat like yeah that's amazing um, I guess it is the sweetest I wonder if there's something in orange foods like a certain like a uh, chemical or more sugar or something in certain orange foods that does that because I don't like um, food with sweet things in it. like I do, you know when people put like raisins and kind of stuff and blah, blah, I don't, there must be something just in my makeup about not liking liking sweets and savoury which is completely weird because I, I'm happy to shovel as many Haribo down my gob the rest of the time <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't have a problem with sweetness <laughs> no. in any part of the culinary experience yeah, okay orange food um, I'm just trying to think of any other instances but I think you've probably covered all of them and then the other bit of food that I just cannot stand is like porridge porridge or it's like congealed vomit I just <laughs> cannot stand it what about if you put loads of um, honey or something on or, or no, no just can't do can't it can't do okay. it can't do it I can understand where you're coming from with that I mean uh, I, I wouldn't say I ever really enjoyed a porridge do you know what I mean you just kind of battle through it I don't it think anyone you, does no okay I think you're probably right it's one of those like you do it to just signal how healthy you are and how virtuous you are and how worthy you are. Like, you might have a porridge after you've gone for a morning run. Yes, OK. Oh, <laughs> hate those people. What are you having for breakfast? I'm really bad. I just, like, sometimes I don't have breakfast. Just don't know breakfast. Because I'm sort of so disorganised and so busy. The other day... <laughs> so bad. <laughs> the other day, and it was really hot, I had a Magnum for breakfast. No, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> So awful. You had a magnum for I breakfast. I myself. Did you? <laughs> I had nothing else. It was really, really hot, and it's quite late. And I was like, oh, I've got a cheeky. I've got. A cheeky. <laughs> I also, I never have anything in my fridge because I'm a complete domestic disaster zone. I only have like sort of some nail varnish and some old vodka, which makes me sound like a really functional wow, human being. Okay. But I had some like. I was like, oh, I've got a cheeky magnum. <laughs> a cheeky freezer. magnum in your freezer. Wow. Okay, magnum for breakfast. You're an, was, ad, you're an adult. You can do what you want, right? I, I think I need a carer. I think you need some help. Yeah, OK. <laughs> and uh, what's going to be your drink choice? Oh, Earl Grey tea. Earl Grey tea. Oh, yes. That is an excellent choice. It's Earl so Grey. minging. It is, yeah. And people think it's this really sophisticated drink and it's just like sort of... It's like really... It's like someone's taken a really cheap perfume and heated it up and gone... Here you go. Yes. Enjoy. Uh, it is. It's got that weird perfumey flavour and it's just like, no matter how long you brew it, it's always the same colour. Do, do you drink tea otherwise? Oh, absolutely. And I have a great link to tea because my parents are from a place called Assam in India. I know Assam. Okay. Where the tea comes from. And in fact, many of my uncles actually worked on these big tea plantations. So when I was wee and I went to India, I got to visit the tea plantations and see it all being picked and how it was made and tasted fresh tea, which was incredible. So I love tea. I'm a real sort of tea person, but I'm really picky. It's got to be sort of Assam tea or, you know, I like Yorkshire tea as well. Yorkshire tea is very, very good. And my uncle actually who works um, in this tea garden said that of all the kind of blends, actually Yorkshire tea is like the best really yeah he was like Yorkshire tea's amazing okay that's, that is yeah, good yeah he was like Yorkshire tea's really good but none of this nonsense and the worst thing is with Earl Grey tea it's minging enough anyway and then people put loads of milk in it and it all goes like slightly claggy with the milk and you're like 
Oh, oh, I'll so, just go vomit in my mouth. I can't do that. Yes, okay. Does even the smell set you off? Or you... Yeah, the smell totally sets mm, me off. I'm, I'm the same. Yeah, if I'm sat next to someone, I'm just thinking, you could just have a lovely cup of tea. Like a proper brew. A, a proper brew, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is amazing about Yorkshire tea. Yeah. I, I, I always thought it was the best, you know. It's just yeah. a delicious cup of tea. Um, a great advert for Yorkshire tea. <laughs> yeah, we are available for <laughs> like, tea. If you want to send us some Yorkshire tea, Yorkshire yeah, oh tea. My, We've abs- done such good promo for uh, Yorkshire tea. I know, Absolutely, yeah. Okay, Yorkshire tea. Um, and not Yorkshire tea. Okay, Earl Grey tea is going to be your choice. Um, Aisha, unfortunately for you, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? Right, so my film is mm-hmm. sort of a controversial choice because everybody seems to love this film apart from me. Okay. And it's on all the time and its creator was recently um, on another podcast and everybody loves him and the film is Love Actually. Okay. I cannot stand that film. (laughs) Why is that? Oh, where to begin? It's just so... It's so... Well, first of all, it just gives this really saccharine view of, like, society and... London. Not mm. expecting everything to be like a Ken Loach sort of, no. you know, start weeping from the start. But it's just the, the cliches are just so awful in it. Like everyone's just such a horrendous cliche, and I just, I, I find the Emma Thompson kind of storyline really depressing as well, where we just basically applaud the fact that this guy's going off and having a, a, you know, sort of shagging about and sort of kind of gets away with it and. The Hugh Grant thing is just so ridiculous because that is just not how politics works. And I know we're altering the bodyguard and that's totally unrealistic as well, but it's just better. And it's just every single sort of cliche about what love and relationships and just life should be. And it's so unattainable on every single level. You know, nobody lives, nobody can afford to live in the types of sort of houses and nobody has those kind of fairy tale life's just not like that and no. I'm, like, I'm not expecting yes. everything to be so gritty but it's so cheesy and then there's this weird bit as well with um, Kira Knightley is married to this other guy but then creepily his best friend really fancies her and then he turns up with all these like, he's like a sort of weird stalker and he sort of turns up with all these kind of cards basically saying I really fancy you yes. his best mate is sitting inside so he's basically done the dirty on his best mate as well it's just like Ugh. isn't there a bit where he's in he's there they're at a party or something and he's just filming her Ugh. how weird's that that's weird imagine if you found out like a friend of yours was like filming someone on in secret yeah. at a party come on I forgot about that bit. That's re- and it's a, no, it's at his mate's wedding. Oh, it's at a wedding. Yes, of course it is. I think yeah. he's the best man for his mate when he's basically trying to bone the bride. <laughs> yeah, he is. And like zooming in on. Her. I know on her face. It's really weird, isn't it? It's okay. so wrong. It's so wrong. Yeah, you kind of think in hindsight, how did. Like, how did no one flag that up when they were making the film? They all were like, oh, we're making this really cute, like, amazing Christmas film. And there's all these really weird and creepy elements. I'd love to see someone cut that together as, like, a fake um, trailer, right? Because it could be really creepy. you could do, like, a really sort of malevolent kind of trailer about it, like, coming for you sort of thing. It is so wrong and so creepy on so many levels. Okay, love, actually. Yes, and it just seems to be on every year. It just doesn't go away. It's on, on a loop. There are some Christmases where you're like 
Is there nothing else available? <laughs> yeah. Is there nothing else in the archive? Is there not one <laughs> other film, like, anywhere? Just anything else, yeah. <laughs> it's, I guess it's just become part of this whole Christmas thing that just arrives every year with, with the Christmas songs from, like, November now oh. and, you know, all the rest but of it. But somebody, like, posted something the other day where... There's a supermarket that's already got Christmas stuff in now. Unbelievable. You're like, please, God, no, please, 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 please. At least put off putting Love Actually on TV until late in December. I know. And give us, like, a trigger warning. People who are triggered by it should get a special warning. It should have a trigger warning, yeah, OK. <laughs> um, Love Actually and uh, what's going to be your song choice? Agadoo. Agadoo by Blackleaf. Oh, wow, that's great. Agadoo, why Agadoo? I just hate it. <laughs> it's so annoying. And um, I think it came out in about 1984 and it just seemed to be played like everywhere. And I remember loads of like parties I went to at that point. How's that sort of like? Oh, and it was just like, ah, oh God. I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. make it stop. Like, my ears bleeding, just make it stop. It was so annoying. I'm just going to tell the listeners, when uh, when I asked Aisha why, she sort of went head in hand there, <laughs> like, like, I really brought back a memory. Um, okay. So in you fact, were... it was such a crap song that BBC One banned it because they didn't view it as a credible song. That is amazing. I'm going to write that down. BBC Radio 1, they Yeah, they apparently they it. just said it didn't, like, meet the criteria of a proper song because it was just so shite. That is amazing that someone just turned around and wrote, OK, we can put an end to this. Uh, and I, it was like, for, I will always love the BBC for that alone. Like, I wonder if they pulled that out of the bag with any other songs or if that's the standalone <laughs> one. Agadoo, I wonder if there's still an embargo on, on, uh, on Agadoo and you just can't play Agadoo on Radio 1. But even when I hear the opening kind of, Agadoo, I'm like, oh. no! I literally have to, like, run out of wherever I am. Just, like, can't cope, cannot cope. I'm just trying to think what the lyrics are. What's it even about? It's like push pineapples. Shake the tree. Something like that. It's... Is it making you feel sick to yeah, talk about? Yeah, I am, about? actually. <laughs> can, we t- can we stop recording? I'm yeah. just, like, feeling quite vulnerable at the it moment. Needs to get out for a <laughs> um, so you remember it at parties, I could do. Was, yeah. was, was it being dragged out all the time? It's been dragged out all the time, and all my other, like, friends seemed to love it, and everyone was, like, dancing away and doing, like, there was, like, a dance. Oh, there's a dance. There's, like, yes. a dance to go with it and doing like a sort of you know oh god like you know, it was just it was so awful and I felt like I was the really kind of miserable one because I just hated this song so much I was just like I mean by the way I'm not holding myself up as this like virtuous person on music like I'm the expert because I loved Rick Astley as well so like we all make big mistakes in terms <laughs> of our musical hinterland but this song just was so uh, kind of obnoxious to me I just you know even as a small child I was like there is right and there is wrong and a line has been crossed with this. That's amazing. <laughs> you even knew as a kid. And actually, in hindsight, all those people that liked it, who's the silly one now, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Who's on Desert Island Dicks now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, Agadoo. Um, anything else on Agadoo before we leave it on the island? No, nothing more ever I... on Agadoo, please. Okay, Aisha. And finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? It's the slug. The slug! I just hate slugs so much. They're so horrible. They're so gross. They're so slimy. They're so (laughs) horrible. I literally... I can't stand it if I see one. I 
I just can't bear it. I just can't stand it. And they're really, they get everywhere. You know, they just sort of like appear and they're, oh, they're horrible. They're horrible. I'm freaking out just talking about it. It seems like there's a few days of the year where it's like damp and there's just slugs everywhere. Have you ever accidentally trod on a slug? I haven't, but I read something the other day. Somebody posted this thing on Twitter, which was the most, like, disgusting, revolting, horrifying, terrifying thing I have ever, ever... So she was doing some weeding in the garden and she said later on she felt something on her cheek and a slug had clearly dropped into her hair and she hadn't realised and then it crawled on her cheek (laughs) and she was, like, trying to get it off but you can't actually get them off because they're so liquidy. They kind of, like, shapeshift as your finger. And so she just said she just had, like, kind of smeared slug all down her face. And I don't know how this woman has even been able to carry on with, like, normal life after that. Okay, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, I'd have to be sedated for, like, the rest (laughs) of my life. (laughs) So you wouldn't think about it. That's amazing. Have you ever had to pick up a slug? No, I couldn't do it. Is it that bad? I seriously couldn't do it. How do you feel about snails? I don't like snails either. Okay. I really don't like snails. I mean, snails are slightly hidden because of their shells, but I just don't like all that sort of mollusk stuff. I don't like it at all. What about in food? Do you... No, I couldn't do it. I don't like it. Oh, I really no. don't like it. Your face is recoiling I know, with horror. I can't speak. You want me to stop talking about it? I realise, OK, OK, so slugs, yeah, and an island overrun with slugs, come oh, on. For the rest of your life. Slug island, that would yeah. be so awful. Disgusting. Aisha, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. I've had such a fun time. Although I do feel a bit traumatised now. I know, yeah. Sometimes people need to go and take a minute after this, I think. (laughs) Um, What are you doing at the minute? So I'm quite busy. I've just come back from the Edinburgh Festival Mm. and um, I did a a new stand-up show called Girl on Girl. And it's all about sort of where the Me Too movement goes next and feminism. And it's about women fighting each other on feminism. So that's called Girl on Girl. I'm doing a national tour and I'm going to be at the Soho Theatre uh, from the 22nd of October. So Amazing. please come and see me. Okay. And I'm also promoting a, a book that I've written with um, a chap called Tom Hamilton. It's called Punch and Judy Politics. And it's a sort of history and a behind-the-scenes look at how political leaders do prime ministers' questions. OK. And where can people get it? Where can... They can get it in bookshops and online. Um, I think it's available at most places. But Punch and Judy Politics. Amazing. OK, I have to give it a read. Thanks. And if, if people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? They can find me at Aisha Hazarika. But please only send me nice things and don't send me abuse. Yes. Whether you're on the left or the right of politics, don't at me if it's horrible, please. <laughs> OK. <yeah. laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> 